Welcome to the Absite Smackdown podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hey guys, it's me, Jess, your host of Absite Smackdown podcast. With me, my two favorite doctors, Dr. Colton Lee and Dr. David Kashmir. Hello, fellas. Hi, good morning. Good morning, guys. It's good to be back again. I'm really looking forward to this episode, Jessica and Colton, all about resident autonomy. It's a big thing um, in my practice, and it's been a big thing for me as a teaching surgeon. So I'm excited to get to it. I guess we should kind of touch base a little bit on why this subject came up. Um, You know, for all of you listeners out there, we always have a blog. We have things on the website and we're constantly looking at studies and articles to stay on top of what's going on. And we ran across this study while we were doing that. And of course, the team will put the link to the study below this podcast for you to listen to. And it just really resonated. And I think it's important. And that's where we're going. So let's jump into it. Dr. K, like what, what is your experience with this? What do you think? And then we'll hand it over to Dr. Dr. Lee. Resident autonomy is a hot topic. Um, like you said, the team ran across this, but uh, we were sort of looking for it. Um, we were looking for it because uh, there are some challenges facing surgical education, and we all know about them. Um, case volume can be challenging. Bringing in simulation and where that fits as the ACGME goes in that direction. Uh, and resident autonomy, particularly in the medical legal climate that we practice in, uh, we all want to train functional surgical colleagues who finish and can do procedures, especially when there's a rural uh, need for surgeons, et cetera. And we need staff who can fill that need, go out there and do just a great job um, on the cognitive and technical side. So the big push is Jess and Colton knows that no need to tell him, I'm sure. Um, resident autonomy is key and training to competence, training residents to be competent on finishing is key nowadays. That's what brought us here. And uh, I'm really glad to be able to talk about it uh, with you all today. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about autonomy because I don't think that everyone has the same definition of what autonomy means in patient care and in resident training, because it means one thing to an attending and I mean something completely different to a resident and even beyond like among residents in my program. I don't think autonomy means the same thing to me as a couple of the other people, uh, because I'll hear them talk about surgeries. I don't operate with people that are on the same level as me, so I don't know where they're at um, in the operating room. I don't know how they perform. I don't know what they're getting to do and what they're not getting to do. Um, I know what the interns are getting to do and what the threes are going to do, but not the people on my same level. Um, So it's hard to judge sometimes what that actually means. I know to me what autonomy means uh, for my perspective is being able to come up with my own plan, my own treatment, getting to decide what the operation is, how we're going to approach it, knowing what the steps operation are and being able to say them, you know, eloquently before a case begins. Um, And then as I work with a attending more and more, being able to do more parts of that case until hopefully by graduation or even chief year, I'm doing an entire operation, at least one of the core general surgery operations uh, from start to finish with only supervision in the room. Hmm. I'll tell you, Colton, I love your definition of it. Um, to me, autonomy is much the same. It's the ability to kind of stand alone. And what I mean by that is we all practice in healthcare teams and we try to train residents to be able to practice in teams for sure, because that's what modern surgery is. But it's being able to fill the role of surgeon 
on your own. Uh, you know, Dr. Cashmere suddenly clutches at his chest and passes out in the OR. Uh, Colton says, okay, yep, I'm going to continue on. We can safely do this. I'm going to call in my uh, colleagues and for sure call another attending, but the world's not going to crumble. And if Dr. Cashmere never got up and, you know, suddenly the walking dead occurs and there's nobody else around to help Colton, uh, you know, Colton can kind of get it done in a safe fashion. So to me, autonomy is not just the procedural stuff, but the decision-making and getting there and being able to fill the role of surgeon on your own. And incidentally, uh, that happened before. Uh, one of my colleagues was in the OR with an attending surgeon. This is back when I was a resident. Surgeon passes out uh, in the OR during the case, uh, and she just uh, had a hard time of it, went down uh, and really went out like code type goes out. And uh, so he went on with the procedure safely, called in backup, uh, and um, we did a, we uh, kind of did a resuscitation and central venous catheter placement on the attending. Um, which was funny that that got called that, that attending literally called me a pain in the neck every day because of the IJ I placed on her uh, when she was uh, kind of coding. So anyway, bottom line is um, that I think is autonomy, being able to fill the role of the surgeon completely uh, on your own when you're done. Colton, I liked um, before we were actually recording, you use this phrase struggle safely. And what I liked about that, it just reminded me like, you know, it's not sink or swim. It's not throwing you guys in. It's allowing you like room to grow and being there to catch you if you are struggling. And so could you just talk a little bit more about that? Because that really, you know, helped me understand like what you meant and the way things are being done right now. The Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit the Smackdown at AbsiteSmackdown.com. Yeah, so there's definitely, I'm not an attending yet, but I think there are some ways that I've seen my attendings really allow us to grow into the stage where we are autonomous. Um, one of the ways that, as they actually mentioned in this article that I've firsthand seen is a safe struggle, right? And so in that situation, you think of the, uh, the attending like Batman, just kind of standing there watching over the city, ready to step in. So they're in the room, they're scrubbed in the case, uh, and we've already began the case. I've been able to say what we're going to do. I've picked where the ports go, even if and sometimes even if that's not what the attending, you know, would prefer uh, or their typical way of doing a surgery, because there's different ways to do surgeries uh, sometimes, and you can put ports in different places. So I've put the ports in for a laparoscopic surgery, hypothetically, and I'm having a hard time getting visualization and they let me struggle. They, they can see that I'm not causing any damage. I'm not hurting the patient at all. I'm being safe while I'm doing it. So this is a safe struggle. Um, and they let me work at it for a minute. And then they say, well, here's the issue. They step in and they help me get visualization um, or move to the next step of the operation. And they let me take over again. Uh, and that's some, a technique that's actually used, I believe, a lot across residencies. Um, the other kinds of things that I've seen in my experience are, as I mentioned before, being able to walk through the operation and tell the surgeon before we begin. And a helpful tip for any of the residents listening, if you do want to get more autonomy and be able to do more steps of a surgery, uh, it's kind of common sense, but a lot of people don't think of it. Try and do the same surgery with the same surgeon a lot, right? Like do four or five inguinal hernias with the same surgeon, preferably in the same day or the same week. Uh, and they'll see you grow throughout those cases. And you'll be like, okay, so the next step is going to be this. And they're like, yeah, why don't you go ahead and, and you know, start that step. Um, and that's just something I've picked up over five years. There's a lot of small things you can do to show that you're invested in a patient 
uh, you're invested in a surgery and that you're, you're trying to grow actively and, and attendance will really realize that and let you do more. You know, I'll tell you, um, I really like that you say that. And uh, over the years in teaching, I, I have evolved my set of techniques for working with resident staff. And I'm going to tell you guys from the attendings perspective, one of the challenges is balancing um, speed of case, how long the case takes with all the pressures in the OR to get done and move along. Quality for the patient, meaning direct things that you believe affect patient outcome, uh, given you know the spectrum of patients you're taking care of. And third, as Colton said, what I think is a responsibility to train residents to competency so that when you take out my or one of my family members' appendices one day, appendix one day, uh, it's done in a safe fashion and for all the people who come after. I look at it like somebody trained us. It is absolutely our responsibility to give that back. So some of the tools I've evolved are a lot like what Colton said, and I really like the struggle safety, the struggle safely descriptor that you use in the article mentions. I never thought of it that before. I used to just say, hey, we're going to kind of build a sandbox, meaning uh, you're going to get to make choices and do things, but you're always safe. Uh, you know, like you said, I'm always here helping you and I'm not going to let you make a move that is probably going to be undo, uncorrectable or even impact the patient in a, a kind of a deleterious way. So I really like struggle safely. I think that's a great term. Um, the other thing I used to do is keep a grid of every resident and key procedural portions by procedure. I still have it. I would just, it's an Excel file. I would just update it and change the names. And things like uh, setting up the book, Walter, for example, by the time you get to maybe second or third year, you probably know how to set up a book, Walter. Um, in getting them there, there are teaching points. You need to be present for the patient's induction and you need to make sure that the, the sheets on the patient are not on the rail, the OR rail, or else it's hard to hook the book, Walter, on there. You need to be able to hook the book Walter on there. You need to realize book Walters come out partially closed so that you need to open them all the way because often they're partially closed down. They won't get on the rail that way. So you open it all the way up, you put it on there, and then you attach the appropriate ring and you put it in the direction you want retraction, et cetera. Seemingly little things, but setting up uh, your colleague, Dr. Bookwalter for the case is one of the more important things. And there are other things like that. So what I would do is... Um, I would try to, for each resident, say, okay, Dr. So-and-so has done this. They've done this. I know they can do this. Now it's time for this key part of the procedure. The only problem with that is you need to be careful if you don't do enough procedures with somebody, they don't advance to where they want to be. But you talk to them ahead of time and you say, hey, in the procedural part of the case, you've got the cognitive. In the procedural part of the case, this is your moment in this case. This is the part you're going to do, and you string them together over time. It's actually a lot of work on the attending side, but very fulfilling. And the last thing for my long talk is what Colton said about uh, you know trying to schedule everything sort of on the same day. And the attending office controls a lot of this. I would try to schedule all right inguinal hernias one day, just rights. Um, and I would push the people who were left, if I could, if it was elective, to try to norm them into the same day. So it'd be like inguinal hernia day, or at least inguinal hernia morning. Uh, and any elective thing I could do, I would schedule like that whenever possible. And uh, it, it really went a long way. So I really like all those techniques. I used a lot of them, and I think they're super useful because you're not really allowed to be super slow anymore, although safe is the most important. But super slow is tough, and there's a lot of pressure on the attendings outside of what I think is our part of our mission, which is to teach. So that's where we are with it.
Well, it can't hurt to be Batman. <laughs> I have a question for you, Dr. K. So I saw in the article that um, there was a survey that apparently 70% of patients trust a chief resident to do their entire surgery, right? But that leaves about a third of patients who don't trust a resident, uh, at least uh, unsupervised, to do their surgery. What do you say for two patients that are asking you questions um, in that situation, if they're not, if they're either, you know, not comfortable with a resident being in their case or a resident doing their case. I, I really like you saying that um, for a couple of reasons. I thought we would get to it in this podcast. I'll tell you my answer. I don't know if it's perfect, but uh, it does come up, um, especially at certain places. When I work in, in one of the large inner city hospitals, it seems to come up more. Northeast experientially seems to come up more for whatever reason. Um, here's what I do. First, I say to the patient, um, my routine in doing your case is to have a resident colleague with me. It's like playing baseball. You know, you're thrown to the first baseman all the time. And I want to make your procedure as much like routine baseball as possible. Uh, you know, you're the boss. I'll do what you want. But I would share that um, if I were you or my family, I would recommend you letting us do the same thing we always do. As a matter of fact, I feel strongly it's going to help you. The second thing is we have regulations. The resident can never be unsupervised. It's not allowed in residency. And meaningful supervision means I will be in the room the whole time. Even the time the anesthesia doctor is putting you to sleep, I'll be there. And I always am. Unless there is literally somebody dying right ahead of time, I will be in the room as the patient goes to sleep. I like to help with the airway without getting an anesthesia's way. I'll hold C-spine precautions. I'll give the cricoid pressure. I do it every case. I also like to prep my own patient because I feel like, although some places residents prep everyone, it's part of the tradition, and that's fine. I never want to be prepped out of a field or complain that I can't do something with a sterile field. I feel like that's my fault. If I find myself complaining about that, I did not position the patient properly. And I try to teach the resident the same thing. I found I can always be there. I can always make it. I'm not sure. It's not everybody's attitude, I guess, but I seem to be able to be there all the time. So basically, Colton, I tell him uh, to keep it consistent. Um, the resident is my helper. The alternative is if it's not a resident colleague, it's uh, typically a scrub nurse or someone with less training who didn't go to medical school. And so my preference is I have the best team that I can have to bring to bear on your problem. That means the resident. The AmpSite Smackdown podcast is going live. Reserve your seat for our upcoming live AmpSite review conference. Can't travel? On call? No problem. This online conference is recorded so you can catch up anytime. Reserve your spot by visiting us at AbSiteSmackdown.com and selecting latest news for more information. Um, there is no, like to play baseball, you need a whole team. That's kind of what this is. It's never just me stitching and using the sucker, et cetera. It does, all these procedures are designed for uh, two sets of hands, four hands. So that's what I say. I would say, uh, you know, I, I feel really strongly that my best helper is Dr. Lee, who's available, et cetera. Uh, and then we discuss it. And honestly, with that, I've never had somebody say, um, I've never had somebody say that they don't want any resident except for one time that they were very clear. This is somebody who was in healthcare. It was very clear that they did not want a resident in the case. And so um, with, we respected their wishes, uh, but kind of, uh, and it was a very straightforward case. I, I don't get aggressive and say, I won't do it without the resident, but uh, in explaining and kind of discussing it with them, with that explanation, honestly, it must've come up at least 20 times, at least, 
Um, I've not had somebody say a resident cannot participate in the case. Um, so uh, that's how I, I frame it. It, does, it makes it non-adversarial, shows support for the resident, and is reassuring to the patient. Uh, it's not me playing golf while the resident does your case. Um, it's not that simple. So. Well, there, there are some good legal implications with that, right? There have been cases recently where uh, physicians have gotten in a lot of trouble for having multiple cases going while they were supposedly uh, supervising them, whether it was a fellow doing the case or not. So there are also legal implications. And I think the article mentions the Libby Zion case, which if you're a resident and you haven't read about Libby Zion, I encourage you to uh, give it a Google and read about it because this is really the start of our 80-hour work week and where this idea came from. And yeah. if you're a new intern coming into residency and you read about this case, it's going to scare you uh, because these people, the residents, the intern, uh, were actually brought to court uh, and they had both, uh, you know, criminal charges brought against them, which uh, were ultimately not, you know, found to have any substance. Uh, but they also had uh, civil charges brought against them and had a uh, civil settlement that was there's so much it's there's so much in that case. And uh I always try to not comment on it, but it's a fascinating read. It led to the Bell Commission. I believe it was in New York. Uh, I think maybe one of the Cornell-affiliated schools. There's some question about what the patient was on, including cocaine. Um, but it, it really went to supervision. And I'll tell you, as an attending, the kind of devil's in the details, because what is meaningful supervision? Um, and that is what's so hard for some people. So, for example, if Colton's closed the fascia a thousand times with me and there's an emergency for a trauma uh, with a patient who is, you know, bleeding to death and they call up to the OR, um, is it meaningful supervision if I allow Colton to close the fascia while I start uh, to help out with this trauma patient? Well, the trauma regulations are that a chief resident or a four, if I recall, this is under the orange book, not the new gray book, can begin resuscitation. But what begin means is, you know, devil's in the details. And what meaningful supervision means is in the details. I'll give you one story that goes to the other side. Once upon a time, uh, I did have to step out for something like that. It's pretty rare. As a chief resident was closing the fascia, we always used as a fish, what's called the Glassman visceral retractor, an OR towel. And instead of the fish, we used an OR towel and we used a, a malleable, a thick malleable to show the fascia. So we do all this and um, we're closed up. We're almost completely closed. This call comes in. I said, oh, my gosh, there's nobody to do this resuscitation. All right. Uh, are you comfortable completing this? Yes, I am. Okay. And the chief resident, we've done it for. Don't forget to get the towel out. I said, make sure you take that out. Uh, they didn't have the radio opaque towel I normally use. I was new at a place. So I knew everything lined up. So the whole time I'm resuscitating this patient, I'm sweating that this towel is still in the patient. So I returned to the OR, last suture has been placed, knots just about to go down. I said, hey, Dr. So-and-so, how did that towel come out? And he just goes, oh. And really, it seems unreal that this would happen. We discussed it explicitly. You're going to take the towel out. The scrub nurse knows. Everybody said, even to the nurse scrubbing the case, hey, make sure that towel comes out. Okay, because it wasn't radiopaque, et cetera. So why am I a little crazy? Because sure enough, when I come back to help out the resident, or just to make sure for no reason that day that the towel came out, he just says, oh, and that towel was still in there. So the knot had not been tied. The suture had not been done. I checked the fascial closure, reached in, you know, was able to pull the towel out like we, like we always do. Uh, and uh, that's why the old saying is uh, among attendings um, that you 
get to heaven by teaching residents, and you get into heaven by teaching fellows. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown, the only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. That's the old line that we have, and it's for things like that. It's unbelievable. It's the closest I've ever been to having a retained implement in the OR. How about that? What is, what is that saying you always say, Dr. K, trust but verify? Like yeah, that's not mine. And it's important that you extend trust because without it, there can't be autonomy. And could I have always gotten back there to check on the towel? And would I have? I don't know. But fortunately, I did. Uh, and it was just amazing to me that that knot, it literally was being tied, but not, uh, not pushed down, not uh, with a surgeon's knot. Two throws were in. It was about to be settled. I said, hey, Dr. So-and-so, because of course, you're not going to use the name here. How did that towel come out? And he says, oh, that's all he said. So there you go. It's a great example of Batman swooping in to save the day in the nick of time. Well, yeah, but everybody and everybody tells these stories where it ends well. So you got to watch out because there are many stories, I'm sure, if I really thought about it, that didn't end so well. But I've been very fortunate. None I can think of. Uh, My point is there's a little bit of luck involved, Mm. a whole lot of trust. And the, the thing this demonstrates to me is what is meaningful supervision? Right. What is meaningful supervision? Uh, and, um, you know, it may have been the 11th hour, but no defect made it to the patient. And that's what I think the key is. I'm sure there's lots of good stories you have. That one ended well. And it's good that you can't remember the other <laughs> one because that means they either were not memorable or not that many. So we're, we're deeply repressed, deeply repressed. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll not say that because that's kind of scary. But anyways, um, so something I just wanted to bring up real quick. I know that we've gone on for a while, but so we've we've kind of gone through this year through um, when they took the site, when medical students are matching, getting their programs and everything. And so something that we really want to do here on the podcast is we would like to find a new surgical resident, a first year going into their surgery program in July and have them be like our touchstone to have them come in like once a month, tell us about their experiences as they go through, be with them as they get ready for the app site. And so if any of our listeners out there are interested in being our guy and doing that for us, please email us at Absite Smackdown at thehealthcarelab.com. And we will be going through those to find someone that is a good fit for the team. Anything else either one of you want to add for that? I know Dr. Lee, you had someone in mind that we're going to review also, but we want to be fair. Dr. K, any, any Yeah, Just a, a couple things to add on to it. I know I've talked a lot this podcast, but uh, two things. First, um, I appreciated before when you said you guys uh, at the publishers and the, and the podcast admin are really good about keeping everything the residents say uh, positive about their program. Anything, uh, Colton's obviously great about this, has a strong program, but no, no one is going to set up the resident staff to ever have anything go out that's really negative about their program. That's part of your promise. And the other thing I would say is um, the email address, just to correct it, I think uh, Jessica, it's absite smackdown at thehealthcarelab.org. It's actually not a .com. I remember every time I send you guys email, 
because it wants to populate as .com, but it's .org. So Absite Smackdown at thehealthcarelab.org, I think we'll get it through. Um, or they can just contact, yeah, or they can just send it through the website. Right. I know there, there are three or four interested already, which is cool. Um, but you, they can also just go through the website. I do that. I do that often. That, thank you for catching that because it's always a problem. So. I think this would be a good opportunity. Uh, sorry to kind of jump in, but I think it'd be a good opportunity for an intern to kind of a be able to be a voice because I think a lot of people that are going through intern year feel alone. They don't know what other people are, are feeling or sensing. Um, so you know you can be honest and share your experience. You don't have to you know necessarily share all the ugly stuff um, if you are experiencing something like that. Um, you can have a sense of support from both us uh, and the listeners. Uh, and also, I think it, it's going to be interesting to kind of have a you know almost like a time capsule of what you were experiencing at that time to be able to look back and say, oh wow, I thought that was such a big problem then, and it turns out it really kind of wasn't. So, I think it's a good thing. I just think it'll be awesome too to have when we do our conference, you know, right before the absite in January to have them go through this year with us and then hopefully have them be a speaker on it and just be able to see like from the beginning to end of their first year, what it's like. And so, you know, I just think it will be cool, but let's see. <laughs> Last up, Jess on the items and Colton on the items to talk about. Uh, you wanted me to do a reminder, Jessica, the, um, Absite Smackdown, a live conference. Um, dates on the website uh, for live review with all the different speakers. I think we had 12 uh, attending and some resident colleagues last year. I think that's like September 10th through 12th, maybe, um, but it's on the website. Do I have the dates right? Is that right? Yeah, the 10th, 11th, and 12th. Okay. So September. And, yeah. Okay. And I know it's a live and also recorded forum. I uh, got a bunch of questions and um, the content uh, based on uh, the review book and other sources. So um, I just want to make sure I got that in because you told me to. So I got it. Well, you're just such a good speaker. It sounds so much better coming out of your mouth than mine. You know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> nice of you. Well, guys, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for letting me yap on with some of the war stories and also some of the techniques we use it as attendings. Colton, it was super interesting to hear from the resident perspective what's going on with autonomy and training to competency, because it is not easy, especially in the current climate. Like you said, all the medical legal stuff and uh, with the patients. So it's really been interesting to me to hear it. Thank you. All right, thank guys. You. Thank you so much. Don't forget, hashtag Absite Smackdown. Get more Absite content in your daily routine. Visit us on Instagram at daily.absite.fact, on Facebook at Absite Smackdown, or LinkedIn at Absite Smackdown. And you can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any place you listen to your favorites. Don't forget our YouTube channel, Absite Smackdown.